0: I'm Alex Mozed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech. And boy, do we have a couple great examples of that agenda being advanced very successfully these past couple days. So, recap of topics. I'm going to start off with with a little WeWork. Yes, that's right. WeWork is now public. We covered this when they originally tried to go public. I'm going to show you that clip. We called it within 24 hours of them filing their S1. Their original IPO target was complete bogus. That was a Goldman Sachs special, if you remember. Second topic is DWAC to the moon. What is DWAC? I'm about to tell you, but that puppy is surging. Uh, Full disclosure, yes, I bought it yesterday morning and I'm sitting pretty, pretty, pretty uh, right now. Berkshire eSupply is launching a digital offering. This is a a B2B distribution special. This is, yes, related to, um, this is a Berkshire Hathaway portfolio in the B2B distribution space. Uh, They've just made a big announcement of their suite of digital tools as a master distributor. So we're going to dig into that. Closing out with the future of gyms, MindBody and ClassPass have merged. MindBody raised $500 million. It's a Vista-owned, Vista one of the top uh, kind of tech, tech forward private equity firms in the in the world really sucked them in. Is is now doing a bunch of things, and uh, you know what is the future of gyms now in a in a seemingly never ending COVID world? Uh, so let's jump on in, shall we? So work overview on this from PitchBook. These are the this is WeWork's private valuation. You can see. Back in 2012, this thing was not even worth 100 million dollars. Fast forward to 2015, 10 billion dollar valuation. Okay, keep that number in mind. 2015, 10 billion dollars. Then keeps going up and up and up. 2017, 21 billion. Oh, pretty nice. Kind of like growing like a tech company, wouldn't you think? Uh, 2019, private valuation 47 billion dollars. This is when. They tried to to go public. Title of the video was WeWork thinks they're a tech company? Hmm, what did did we have to say on this one? 1.7 billion dollars in revenue and they're spending like 1.5, 1.6 billion dollars just on the leases. Anytime you hear anything kooky that is skewing EBITDA, run for the hills, baby. This company, bad news bears. Run for the hills, baby. That was the tagline. August of 2019, so we're now more than two years later. Company has gone through a bunch of changes. The founder and CEO, Adam Newman, I think is his name. He's out, but he's flying around on PJs. He's got private yachts, I mean, he's got luxury yachts. That guy is not hurting one iota. He had a very nice exit package from WeWork. One of the things in the S1, which I called out, this was within 24 hours, we cut this video real quick. and at that time, right, Goldman Sachs was backing the IPO. It was it was not a thing to beat up on WeWork. Um, that wasn't widely acceptable at the time. But yes, we beat up on WeWork Heavy. You can go watch that video if you want. Adam Newman was like, he owned properties that WeWork was then leasing from him. And there was uh, yeah, they had this this whole new thing. Um, term called community adjusted EBITDA. <laughs> All this just madness. Goldman was backing this. I was just talking about Goldman on the last episode, how they outed Aussie Media. So that one they did well. This WeWork thing is a blemish uh, and and certainly a, you know a tarnish of the of of their reputation, which I'm sure they would love to forget and get past. So anyway, WeWork is now somewhat back to earth. Um, and going back to this chart, remember I said, remember that, that $10 billion valuation number in 2015? Well, they are now, um, at the time of the SPAC IPO, they had a $9 billion valuation. So six years go by, and they're actually still below what they were back in 2015. Ultimately, this came down to WeWork trying to sell itself and successfully with, you know, with SoftBank support to to sell themselves as a tech company, which they clearly are not, they can be a tech-enabled uh, real estate management company, right? I mean, that's a fair description. But they were not a tech company. They used platform in their S one. We called that out straight away. It's about a nine billion dollar valuation. That's more in line, I think. You know, some analysts would say it's still a premium compared to closer comps, right? Which is just, uh, you know, it's just desk sharing, right? You rent a big space, you divvy it up, kind of actually like the distribution business, right? You buy a bunch of stuff in bulk, you divvy it up into smaller quantities, you make a little bit of margin, and that's your business. They're just doing it with real estate. I do, I actually will, as a positive, to close this out. We actually use WeWork Anywhere for Applico, and it's actually super convenient, pretty good offering, very well priced. And um Now, kind of in the new normal that is COVID, you know, our employees don't want to have to go into the office every day, which we're fine with. They're very responsible individuals and we want to support them and, you know, make their life better and their working situation um, optimal, right? So we work anywhere. We also do a lot of travel for clients. So we work anywhere. They can go and work in a different office, like in New York, right? They can go to different WeWorks around New York City. Or if they're traveling to a client site and and they want a place to work from for the day, um, they can book a WeWork in that town. WeWork, right, has a pretty strong national network of locations. So it's pretty convenient. I think our team has really enjoyed the program and um, had had good reviews. And we're spending way less money than we were on an actual company office and lease. And we don't have to deal with all the upkeep and the management and, oh, insurance and taxes. And you got to get the trash taken out and, oh, let's manage snacks, right? Like, just all those little things, you know. Someone's got to do it and it all just adds up. WeWork handles it. It's actually, I'm actually very positive on that program. The valuation of the company, I think, is still a premium. Um, but, you know, a uh, uh, much better price than where it was a couple of years ago. So, We'll see where it goes. Now, next next topic is DWAC. Now, what, what is that, would you ask? That is the Digital World Acquisition Corp. So that is the shell, which, let's see, what's it called? The Trump Media and Technology Group, TMTG. It's uh, kind of like, uh, kind of reminds me of... Uh, Floyd, Floyd Mayweather, right? TMT, the Money Team. This is TMTG though, is now merging into the Digital World Acquisition Corp. You can go buy the stock. Full disclosure, I did yesterday morning at less than twenty dollars a share. What is it up to now? Great question. It's over one hundred twenty bucks a share. That actually gives it a five billion dollar market cap, which is it. It actually had you know it was sub a billion when it opened. It was like eight seventy five million. Um, Now it's five billion, and the reason why this is happening is, and this is a theme we've talked about on the show for a long time. You know, I had Jeremy Kaufman, the CEO, co-founder of Library, and they have a YouTube competitor called Odyssey, which we are on, and it's phenomenal. The tech is great, Um, and they're, tra- you know, I think they're top five thousand website in the country. Jeremy couldn't understand it, right? Why is YouTube? Or for that matter, more broadly, all these digital content platform monopolies, whether it's a social media platform, a content platform uh, like a YouTube or a Twitch. Why are they becoming so aggressive with the content censorship, right? Strategically, it just didn't make sense to him because whether it's um, Odyssey, whether it's Rumble, which just got a big check from Peter Thiel, whether it's uh, Gab, which has now close to 30 million monthly active users, it has like seven employees and has raised a few million dollars right it's insane there are a litany of these now alternative social media and content platform startups which have tens of millions of users and have phenomenal engagement and are and the engagement is growing very very well much faster than the large tech monopolies but it's it it's confusing to them right because they say well strategically facebook google youtube twitch They are sending me their users and their producers, right? Because they're literally banning and kicking off producers like it's their job. And they've actually given jobs to people to do that for a living. Yeah. And they're silent and and they are, um, you know, not listening to consumers and consumers want this information. And these large tech monopolies in the content spectrum have continued to overplay their hand and be way too aggressive with content censorship. Uh, Twitter, another great example. What that's doing is it's driving users, it's driving a massive exodus away to other alternatives. Um, And the beauty of this is that Trump was easily the most popular uh, social media figure on Twitter. Not necessarily by, like, I think total count of followers, he was maybe top five. When you compare His engagement, right, so aggregate level of engagement, he was easily the number one. So when you look at number of followers plus engagement, he was easily number one, and Twitter kicked him off, right, and and Facebook kicked him off. And, And he literally has sued these companies to try to get back on them, and they still don't let him back on. That's created a vacuum, which is a strategic blind spot for these large content platform monopolies. And so I'm very bullish on this as a business opportunity. Um, obviously, the risk in all of this, and they've got a little chart here on on kind of uh, the uh, strategic positioning, right? So it's going to be called, I guess, I guess Truth, Truth, or something. So Truth Social, I guess, is the social network, and you can see that lining up against Twitter and Facebook. And then you've got TMTG Plus. Ring a bell, Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus, et cetera, lining up against your Netflix and Disney Plus. So that's, you know, uh, um, your, your kind of linear media content, right? Premium content. Then they've got TMTG News um, to line up against your CNN, iHeartMedia, you know, but your news stations. And then this is the Long-Term Opportunity TMTG Tech Stack. And that's what I love about Gab. So, what Gab has done, and this is the risk. So, clearly, they understand the risk. Um, but the risk is that what we saw with Parler, what we've seen with Gab many years ago, is that these big tech monopolies will actually, right, not just compete with you on the content. Spectrum, but they actually compete with you on the development platform spectrum. So in the development platform spectrum, it's Apple and iOS, the app store, Google and the um, Google uh, Play Store and uh, and then Amazon with AWS. And so what you saw with Parler was Parler was wholesale banned from app stores and off the actual infrastructure, the cloud from AWS, which was completely ridiculous. Um, an absolute just violation of what it means to be a development platform. That's the real threat with the distribution channel. And that's what Gab has so impressively built is they've vertically integrated the stack. They've built their own servers. They're completely off the grid, so to speak, right? They don't rely on AWS or Microsoft Azure for cloud. They don't They can't have an app because their stuff had been banned years ago, but they've still managed, despite all of that, they've built their own stack. Um, They still have 20 plus million approaching 30 million monthly active users. I mean, it's insane. Even with such a less optimal user experience, right? Obviously apps are the optimal way to interact and consume content. I mean, that's very clear, Um, but no, Despite all that, in a in a web experience, which is not going to be optimal, they still have phenomenal numbers, right? And I think that shows you the power of the movement of the Great Awakening, of the American people and and others around the world recognizing the transgressions by big tech monopolies um, and not wanting to be a part of it, right? And wanting to be able to have free speech and wanting to be able to speak your mind and going elsewhere, um, even if you have a suboptimal experience even if you you know have to go on a browser and log in every time and all these kinds of things right it's truly impressive and that's the opportunity here so and i'll just read the paragraph here i created true social on tmtg to stand up to the tyranny of big tech we live in a world where the taliban has a huge presence on twitter Yet your favorite american president has been silenced this is unacceptable Uh, i'm excited to send out my first truth on true social very soon Team TG was founded with a mission to give a voice to all. I'm excited to soon begin sharing my thoughts on true social and to fight back against big tech. Everyone asks me, why doesn't someone stand up to big tech? Well, we will be soon. It's great. It's needed. It's a strategic misstep by the big tech monopolies. And again, the audience that a personality like Trump brings and then all of his kind of producers, right? Content creators that are going to follow him to this platform. You cannot understate the influence that that has. We, we spoke on the last episode about uh, Microsoft's Mixer taking Ninja to go to the platform and paying Ninja millions, if not probably tens of millions of dollars to go. Ninja, Dr. Lupo and others, right? That's that um, it's not just a single marquee strategy. So what's the difference between single marquee and double marquee strategy? Single marquee strategy is saying, hey, I get Ninja. ninja's going to bring me demand and audience. Double marquee strategy is what's happening with, with this, with the Trump effect, is you're not only going to get audience and demand and consumers, you're going to get producers, right? So by him joining and bringing his content exclusively to his social network, you're going to get double marquee. You're going to get consumers and producers. It's, it is worth a hell of a lot of money. Just the power and the value of that network effect. Is it worth a billion dollars? Yeah, I, I actually think it is. Junkie Twitter is a $50 billion company. This company is a joke. $50 billion market cap. They do on a good day for maybe 5 billion in revenue a year, they make nothing. They made $65 million on a billion in revenue. It's a joke. The question is gonna be the execution and the tech and the product, but hopefully um, you know, there's some smart people that, that have that figured out. All right. Love it. Great strides in the fight against big tech. Next topic is this Berkshire E Supply. So Berkshire Hathaway owns a bunch of different companies. Berkshire E Supply is what you would call a two-step distributor. They're in the industrial supply, industrial distribution space. So somewhat mundane categories, right? Health and safety, janitation and san- janitorial and sanitation supplies. Then there's other things which, you know, you wouldn't find on a normal B2C website, right? So these are like parts for material handling, you know, if you are a manufacturer Um, so what are the tools that you need, uh, if you are a manufacturing customer, right? So the health and safety, the janitorial and sanitation stuff, you might find a lot of overlap with more kind of consumer oriented marketplaces, but industrial supply distributors do definitely have, you know, a, a large segment of products, which are more specific to that business customer, to those manufacturing business customers. And and the like. So Berkshire says that they have over 2 million SKUs uh, across you know, these different categories of products. And so their big news was that they have launched what they call the Berkshire eSupply network. And Berkshire as a two-step distributor means that they sell to distributors that sell to the end business customer, right? So Berkshire isn't actually selling to say that manufacturing business. They're selling to a distributor that is then selling to the manufacturing business. That's what we mean by a two-step distributor. So there's an interview with the CEO, John here, a couple interesting quotes uh, that I wanted to highlight. So B E S N. So Berkshire e-supply network, that's the launch, the network part is really the evolution of learning from millions of customer interactions with independent industrial distributors Here's the money line, customized, integrated technology, e-commerce, inventory, and logistics have been a part of the Berkshire eSupply offering for years. When you have an increased number of network members, what you are really building is a powerful digitized network. Now, here we go. This is the real money line. If you can enable sales and not just enable procurement, right? so if you are selling to a distributor, he's saying you want to enable sales for the distributor, not just make it easy for the distributor to buy from you. So if you can enable sales and not just enable procurement and logistics, I think that is a game changer. It is a game changer. It draws a very similar comparison to what we did with Dot Foods, the largest food redistributor in the United States. uh, And they bought a company called Shop Hero, which as we run through this does exactly this, right? Enabling sales. Now, uh, in that instance, it's enabling sales for smaller to mid-size uh, grocers, but the sa- it's the same idea. Dot is a two-step distributor wanting to enable its business customers, its distributor customers, or its retail kind of grocer customers to better sell to their customers, to the end customer. The core of the network is built upon Berkshire eSupplies' e-commerce tools, inventory fulfillment, and technology solutions. Its key capabilities include expanded product offering, e-commerce, national account coverage, and reach, to name a few. So it seems like you know there's a tool where you can now have like an e-commerce uh, tool. If you are a small to mid-sized industrial distributor, you can now use Berkshire eSupplies e-commerce tools to set up an e-commerce site, kind of like a Shopify. Very similar to what ShopHero is doing. Um, <clears throat> and now you can be selling stuff online. You can be uh, leveraging the 2 million SKUs from Berkshire to then sell those through to your end customer as a distributor, right? So that's what he's saying when he's saying we're going to expand the product catalog, now, you can basically easily sell through Berkshire's catalog as if it was your own, but you don't necessarily need to take the 2 million SKUs on balance sheet, right? You don't need to stockhold the 2 million SKUs in your warehouse because you're a smaller distributor. You don't have the need or the space to sell to stockhold 2 million. You can't stockhold 2 million SKUs. Berkshire eSupply can. They can help you sell it and then they can help you either bring it to the distributor customer and then the distributor customer packages, bundles it with the regular shipment or possibly maybe they can ship it directly to the end customer. I don't know, but those would be the things that, you know, I'm sure Berkshire is is figuring out or has figured out already. So how good is it? That's the question, right? So I took a, let's look at the site, right? Let's look at it. Well, you go to their website and... It, it looks a little dated. Yeah. You know, a little dated. Uh, So you can click into different categories, private label website. So this was the uh, e-commerce enablement. Here's private label e-commerce, real-time inventory and availability shipment tracking software for your customers. That's nice. Advanced account controls, orders go directly to you, integrates directly into your ERP, Over 1.2 million SKUs. So I guess it's not the full 2 million SKU catalog yet. Fully customizable punch out catalogs. Got a mobile experience it looks like. Content is king. Our platform boards some of the best rich content and data. That looks more like uh, media and like articles type of content. Saying all the right things. Do they have the goods? So let's just do a little spot check now. I completely randomly, like completely randomly, all I did was just click into janitorial supplies. I clicked on the first thing, which is brooms and brushes. Then I clicked on the first thing, which is brooms. Then I clicked on, I don't know. I just clicked on one of these brushes, 24 inch Vortec Pro fine sweep brush right? How good is the data? Now, one of the things I keep on talking about for B2B distribution, any any marketplace, any e-commerce experience is you need really good product data, right? So you need the connectivity, which Berkshire says it has. You can easily connect into your ERP. It didn't list which ERPs you can easily connect into, but that's one example of good connectivity. You need to be able to easily have the e-commerce experience flow through to the existing kind of back end and ERP infrastructure that you have. The other bit is product data. So selling a, something online versus in a catalog or on the phone is a very different experience. It's a digital experience. So how good is the product data? Do you have what you would call merchandisable product data? So doing that at scale on over 1.2 million SKUs is no small feat, but just giving me a good e-commerce tool, which... Yeah, this seems sufficient. You know, it doesn't like fill to my full screen, but anyway, whatever. So you need an e-commerce tool, but then what do you put in the tool? If you put bad data in the tool, it doesn't matter if the tool is the best thing, no one's gonna buy the stuff if there isn't good product data. Call that merchandisable product product data. So let's look at the product data for this broom brush. So they've got you know some information here I could zoom it in. Yeah, it's, it is a little small. Different product specifications. Click over here, product features. This country of origin is LK. Um, I don't really know what that is. Shipping information, it gives you the package weight. Um, ships in one to two days from vendor. And you know, here's some other spec number. Okay, so all I did was then take this, copy this, and punch it into Google and see who else has this similar brush. Zorro had the brush. Zorro is Granger's uh, kind of like marketplace thing, has over six million SKUs. We've covered it regularly on the show. Has a much fuller screen experience, right? It's filling out my whole screen. Image is much bigger. Um, Only has one image, but has this, you know, hover thing. Uh, which is nice. Orders and multiples of 12, right? So that's interesting. I don't know if that is uh, what Berkshire was selling, which is one singular unit or uh, a package of 12. They're hiding some of this information for me. So it's not totally clear to me. Uh, these standard package says 12. So I, I guess, yes, this is a, a package of 12 but I'd, I'd kind of need to look down here to figure that out. Not totally clear. Whereas this, right? Boom, front and center orders and multiples of 12. Country of origin says United States. This is, I think this is pretty much the same brush. So that's a little bizarre. Um, item shifts two business days, free shipping, nice. You may also like product, right? Recommended uh, similar products. On Amazon, similar products. Recommendations account for over forty percent of the sales overall, right? So, product recommendations is a big, big, big deal. Um, I don't see any product recommendations on the Berkshire eSupply site. None. That's a big miss. Going back to Zorro, specs, description. This is this is right in prose. More of what you would expect to see in a modern e-commerce, right? It's kind of like a sentence as opposed to all these boxes, which is very kind of industrial. Um, They've got bullets here, which is fine, uh, but you gotta click around into it here. I can click these boxes or I can just scroll, right? Really easy. More product recommendations and uh, have, have availability to do reviews, but there are no reviews on this. I'd actually say that Berkshire has more product specs, right? If you look at this, they've kind of broken this down more. They've put it into different, you know, structured data formats, right? So that actually, I think would be a plus for Berkshire. And I kind of break that down for you as opposed to, or maybe if I click this, see full product details. Yeah. That's kind of all I get, right? I don't get that level of detail. So that would be a miss for Zorro. Um, I like that Zoro puts the price, you know it's twenty twenty one gang give me the price now let's go to the devil that is called Amazon. What does Amazon have? oh boy, oh boy, so what first thing I notice three images i got i got the the top side down and then I got the bottom side up oh, oh damn Amazon you just went there, oh and then I've got. Some little thingy here about selecting the right brush, helpful, right? Yeah, three images, looks a hell of a lot better than one, and they've got two product images. Yes, this may sound weird, two product images of a brush. I will bet you a million dollars that that simple little detail is very hard to do at scale and absolutely increases what? Conversion to buy, a million percent. And then look at this. Now they're actually, now look, Amazon's bucketing this. They're saying, oh, well, this is the 18 inch. There's an 18 inch and a 24 inch. And then I can click into the 24 because that was the actual, I was looking at the 24 inch on both Zorro um, and on Berkshire. And whoa, what is this? What am I noticing? Uh, 24 inch is four bucks, pack of 12. Four bucks an item. Where are you, Zorro? Twelve seventy-eight dollars for $153. This is the same thing. And it's 50 bucks on Amazon. 153. So yeah, you get free shipping because it's over $75. I get free shipping on Amazon. Uh, free delivery it gives me the delivery date. This is through Prime. I'm getting this thing on Monday. Not where these these are telling me it ships in two business days. So you don't know when you're going to get it. And then this thing says ships in one to two days. So, and it's full screen. Then I get bullets. Boom, right here. Bullets made in Sri Lanka. That seems more realistic than the US and certainly more informative than LK from eSupply. Breaks these things out. Boom, boom, boom. Nice bullets. And then gives me the structured data boxes, gives me warranty information. Didn't see that anywhere else. Bundles this with the rod. Oh, 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 did Amazon just do that? They gave me the rod to plug into the brush. And then they give me the logo from the manufacturer. They tell me about the manufacturer. That's nice. They give me other brushes from the manufacturer to look at bunch of brushes look at this all from the same manufacturer other kinds of brushes and this thing has two ratings no reviews but two ratings gave it a five and you just scroll through no clicking i don't need to click on anything and and this right the 18 and the 24 inch none of that's here none of that's here if i go back um Berkshire eSupply does have the 18-inch version, right? But they're not bundling it. They're not attaching. They're not associating those two things in their product data, kind of universal product catalog mapping, right? So who wins? How would I rank those three sites? Berkshire eSupply, Zorro, and Amazon. Come on, gang. It's simple. Amazon is clearly the number one. It's not even close. Zorro, I'd say is a pretty a strong two. the very objective way as to why they are two versus Berkshire is, I mean, there, there are a few reasons. One, the thing is full screen on my computer as opposed to like half my screen. And the other one is product recommendations, product recommendations, I cannot overstate how important product recommendations are. Uh, Zorro is two. And, oh, and not to mention the price on Amazon blows away uh, a I don't even know the price on Berkshire and Zoro. I mean, Berkshire is definitely in third place and has some legitimate work to do. Strategically, Berkshire saying all the right things. CEO should have talked a lot more about product data. He's probably not talking about the product data because the product data is lacking. And that's a big issue. Don't just give me a shell of an e-commerce tool. Just the tool is not going to cut it for what I need to be competitive as a small to mid-sized distributor with the big boys, right? Look at the Berkshire eSupply experience versus Zorro because that's a direct comparison. Take Amazon out of the equation. You're a small to mid-sized distributor and you're trying to compete against a Zorro and a Granger, right? Because that, that's happening. That's what's happening. Zorro is... Has, is, is pretty far out in front of what Berkshire eSupply is offering. How can Berkshire eSupply account for that? Well, you got Warren Buffett money, baby. So that means you better subsidize the price of this tool, right? Whatever it would cost to license this, SaaS fees, you better, if I'm Berkshire, knowing that I have a lot to overcome in these buckets that I'm laying out, the way you account for that is by significantly lowering the price and that should get you more usage while you can then continue to invest in the quality of the actual product and the performance of the product. But if you don't do that um, and you charge what, what should be market for something like this, that's actually not good value uh, for your distributor customers. That's a review. Okay. Last topic, last topic. We've got one more. The future of gyms, MindBody provides a lot of like software, you know, booking software, management software for gyms uh, and and group kind of workout businesses. They were acquired by Vista the past few years. Vista, one of the preeminent tech forward, tech friendly private equity firms. Uh, Robert Smith, co-founder, the guy's a mega billionaire, an absolute phenomenal guy, genius. This thing had been rumored for a long, 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 long time. This is May of 2021. ClassPass and Vista backed MindBody hold merger talks. So now what MindBody is doing is MindBody is raising 500, has has raised $500 million in parallel with closing this transaction with ClassPass. I'm skeptical of this. And here's why there's no publication of the purchase price. So they raised in January 2020. Yes, that's before COVID, uh, a monster round at a billion-dollar valuation. What happened to ClassPass when COVID hit? ClassPass reduces staff by more than 50%. They laid off like 20-something percent of their employees and furloughed like another 30-something percent. So over half of their employees were no longer working. Meanwhile, important to note that another company called Gym Pass, yes. Class Pass, Gym Pass. Don't get them confused. I like Gym Pass. I really don't like Class Pass. And here's why. So, Gym Pass just did a legitimate raise, legitimate raise, legitimate numbers being published in the press over the summer, this summer 2021, raises $220 million at a $2.2 billion post money valuation. Hmm. You say to yourself, well, GymPass, like I've heard about ClassPass, ClassPass, um, all over the news, you know, a uh, female founded business doing all these amazing things. Gym pass kind of coming out of nowhere. What the hell? Here's the angle. ClassPass is B2C, GymPass is B2B. GymPass sells to businesses that want to provide wellness perks to their employees. Hmm, interesting. Um, so when COVID hits, Bam, the B2C angle falls off a cliff. You know, a lot of this, you know, a lot of the angling on the B2C um, side of this was more of like discount shopping, right? You know, I'm the marketplace for gym classes. I'm going to aggregate a lot of extra latent inventory amongst amongst workout group workout classes that have extra availability. I'm going to package up that supply and then I'll offer a subscription to consumers. There was kind of a discount, always been a discount angle, in ClassPass's uh, kind of consumer positioning. So when ClassPass would have hot brands on there, maybe like, um, I don't know, like a SoulCycle back in the early days or um, like a Barry's Bootcamp, right? Those classes would get sold out right away. ClassPass would advertise, hey, we got SoulCycle. Hey, we got Barry's. But you join the subscription, you'd never be able to book a SoulCycle or a Barry's because they had very limited inventory. Those were very in-demand classes, but they used those as marketing to get people into the subscription, but you could never really actually book them, right? Because of the rarity on the supply. But then you could get like a random Pilates class that has a bunch of availability. See what I'm getting at? Gym pass very different story. You don't have this dynamic of being crammed down with a kind of a discount offering because you're selling to businesses that are offering this as a perk, completely changes the game. Now you can actually legitimately have a nice spectrum of kind of premium workout classes, as well as kind of economical workout classes, right? So what that means now, translate that into COVID, where now you've obviously got workout at home and all these kinds of things. Gym Pass has a much stickier customer base with the business that still wants to provide wellness benefits for employees that are stuck at home versus trying to sell out of a disposable, out of the disposable income of consumers that are already kind of coming to class pass for a discount angle. See what I'm getting at? Much more resilient gym pass customer base than the class pass customer base. That's why you don't see any fundraise information for a class pass. That's why you see news articles about class pass trying to merge with mind body for like, five, six months, all right? So if it leaks, it's already been going since early 2021, if it leaks in May. Point is, I actually don't think this was that successful of an acquisition for ClassPass. These investors who invested at a billion dollar valuation, yeah, I don't think they're super happy. Some of them are quoted in these articles. That's just them being nice. Um, Maybe they were able to be made kind of whole by this, but then that means the founders and the employees get screwed and they get crammed down on their equity. Something 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 was in the rub here. This wasn't a happy go lucky deal that's kind of it's being made out to be. That's the truth. So there's a lot of spin on this. I love the gym pass angle. If I'm my body, I take class pass, which I think they got for a bargain sale, frankly. Laying off over, you know, for furloughing and laying off over 50% of the employees have a discounted kind of consumer audience um yeah recipe for 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 i think i think this was a bargain merger for mind body they picked it up gave them nice give them assets that they need but i think they got a very good deal out of this and now if i'm MindBody, i'm going to be positioning this to go after the enterprise audience and and position myself to directly go after what gym Pass is doing because i love what gym Pass is doing gym Pass isn't getting rolled up by mind body, right too expensive resilient business, raising $2 billion at a $2 billion plus valuation despite COVID. That's resiliency. That's a sticky customer base. I like that. ClassPass, I'm a skeptic. They got work to do. And I think this is where they go. They go after the business audience. That's it for us on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. I will talk to you soon. The fight lives on. Bye-bye.